All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. The person you talk to about your problems, they also got to talk to someone about their problems, right? Jason Siegel, very funny actor, plays a therapist who needs therapy in a new show called Shrinking. And in his conversation with Tom Power, you're going to hear them tackle some really big questions like, what is art? And how do you know when to say goodbye to your childhood self and quote-unquote grow up? I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. So we all deal with grief differently, right? But do you find this, that even when things are rough, your sense of humor knows just when to creep in and show up? Jason Siegel, in his latest show, Shrinking, deals with that. His character, Jimmy, is a therapist who's trying to find his way after the death of his wife, and he copes by trying some pretty unconventional methods with his patients. Jason co-created and stars in the show. You might also know him from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, from How I Met Your Mother, The Muppets, Freaks and Geeks, a whole lot of other things. He talked with Tom Power about what inspired shrinking and the lessons that he's learned making comedy throughout his career. And before they chatted, Tom mentioned a quote from Steel Magnolias. The quote is, laughter through tears is my favorite emotion. Here's Tom's conversation with Jason Siegel. By the way, they spoke before the actor strike that's happening now. How are you? Hey, good, man. Thanks. Thanks I like that quote you read uh, a lot. I I think that my tone, which is probably similar that I have always resonated with, is I I call magical melancholy. Magical melancholy. Uh, Yeah, this this idea that like, you know, life life is a little life is a little hard. I mean, let's be honest, like it's it's filled with these hard things that you keep bumping into. But finding the magic in all of those moments is really like where art lies. Um, And I think our show does that with with humor. Um, which is a form of magic to me, but to find the laughter through grief is um, that's the trick, isn't it? Because life's going to be hard. Life's going to be hard no matter what. And that, well, it's an interesting thing because stories about, well, maybe I shouldn't skip ahead to this. Let me, let me start here this way. Just where, where did the genesis of the story come from? Like where, where did the idea of wanting to make a show about grief and about therapy and all that stuff just come from? Well, I got very lucky. Bill Lawrence got in touch with me, about two years ago and said, I'd like to try to make a show together, which is an amazing call to get. I'm very, very lucky in that way. Yeah. And we talked about a few different shows that he had been thinking about. And then, um, you know, kind of trying to zero in on what was our shared taste. And then one day he and Brett Goldstein, who I think is a genius, um, got on the, it was the zoom. It was the, during the pandemic. And they pitched me this idea, which, which is really, I think, part of our collective wheelhouse, which is that there is a lot of really vulnerable humor, which is my favorite type of humor, to be found in somebody struggling. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is is kind of built on that idea. Like you are watching someone going through the hardest time a 25-year-old 
young guy is going to go through, which is losing the love of his life and watching someone pathetically struggle to pull themselves out of those very big feelings is a really funny thing. And this is in a lot of ways, like the grown up version of that, of what if, what if the stakes are raised and someone has lost their wife and you are watching someone try to pull themselves out of that hole blind and with no footholds and just scrambling to figure it out. But the idea then that that person would be responsible for other people, like you didn't choose someone who works at a pizza shop, you know, you didn't choose someone who's, who, you know, who drives a plow. You chose someone whose job it is, is to heal, heal people. Well, that's the comic tension, right? Like Sarah Marshall, it's watching someone be miserable in the happiest place on earth. (laughs) And, and, And in this show, it's watching somebody desperately trying to get well while telling people how to get well. But it made me think about my own therapist, who I have, um, like, I have to thank for literally probably everything in my life at this stage. But like, yeah, but same. I thought like I've I've often been with her, and I've thought, are you all right? Like, why did you why did you want to do for this? For sure, you know. Yeah, that's that is the secret, not so secret truth about all of this is that we are all just stumbling about, bumping into walls, trying to figure it out. The first example is your parents. You are a kid and you think your parents know. And then slowly you arrive at the age that your parents were when they had you. And you're like, oh, you were this? I can't believe I listened to anything that you said. And that's certainly true of your therapist, too. I just think the difference is if it's somebody good, they have some real training. And maybe one of the things they have, which my character has in in the show, is a very... Um, specific and overclocked sense of empathy. Like my character loves his patients and wants them desperately to be well. So even when he's doing it wrong, you have some sense that it's not, it's not just reckless. It's somebody who, um, gosh, he wants people to be okay. Did you bring in anything from, and uh, I mean, only talk about this as much as you want. Would you have brought in anything from your own experiences with therapy or your, your, your co-creators experiences with therapy, like scenarios or situations that you found yourself in, into this, into this show? Yeah. I think the thing that my character who's based on a real guy, um, named Phil Stutz. And I, I think that there's a documentary about him. Now oh yeah. Jonah the- Hill just, I haven't watched it yet. There's a new documentary. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, And I think that one of the things that our show is kind of countering is this stagnation pattern that therapy can put you in, which is this kind of uh, keep you coming back each week without any real progress, making you feel like just talking about your problems is solving them. And my character basically has a moment of rebellion against that saying, we're stuck. I am stuck. You are stuck. What do we do to actually have some progress? And it may not be that we're getting to the root of the problem, but how do I make you feel better by the time you walk out of this room? Right, and that's that's something that you took from that that um, that you that that you you found powerful either in your own experience or in other people's experiences, and you wanted to. My own experience, what I found was that if you're not careful, you can use that hour of therapy to just uh, self indulgently talk about. <laughs> your mundane problems without any intent to change. Yeah, I know what you mean. Though sometimes it feels good just to talk about it, just to get it out. Yeah, know? of course. Of course yeah. it feels good. 
Yeah, you're right. Chocolate <laughs> feels good. I love chocolate too. Doesn't really doesn't really help me move forward. <laughs> I haven't seen the science on that, but I'll believe you. Uh, yeah. But uh, but hold on, go back to the thing you were talking about at the beginning, which yeah. is which is the idea that because there's there's a world in which and actually there's a genre that exists on on Netflix and all that stuff now, of that of a person mourning the loss of his wife, struggling through it, and that would be a very heavy show. You know, whether it be Netflix or Apple TV or or, or, sure. or Amazon or any, what I mean is like there's a lot of TV out yeah, there yeah. that is, um, would be a very mournful, heavy show that we might feel is very important to watch. But, you know, like, but I don't know if it would do the same as a comedy about it, you know? Well, this is like the magic of prime era James Brooks, uh, broadcast news, Simpsons. terms of endearment. It's like... Um, how am I going to choose to see the world? What is the lens through which I'm going to see this? And and life, actually, my experience of it is the hardest moments are the ones that are the weirdest and the ones that you get wrong and, like, you say the wrong thing during a eulogy and, you know, like, God, you run into, like, the people at the funeral that you didn't want to see. It's like all of the messiness of life is much more interesting than just the tragedy of it. And, and I also think that one of the great like healing powers of humor is for me, like it forces the audience and yourself to let your guard down. It relaxes you. So then you can get at the real subjects. But if I go into something knowing it's going to be like some Oscar bait snooze fest, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to try to show that I really know how to feel. Well, laughter is like involuntary. You're not proving anything. It, the show's either making you laugh or it's not. And then all of a sudden you're laughing and you're part of it and you're engaged. So then when the real stuff comes, it's like you're part of the team. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You strike me as someone who's really deliberate about their work. The, the, you know, like, and especially for someone who came up, like for people who don't know your story, like came up on a big NBC show called Freaks and Geeks. You were, uh, you were in my English class last year, right? You're that chick who got an A. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? So you guys going to the homecoming dance? <laughs> I beg your pardon? <laughs> Look, I mean, you know they're gonna play disco, right? Disco sucks. I hate disco. Big NBC show, Freaks and Geeks, which is like a really interesting, which is an interesting early learning experience, I think, for you yeah. to have something that is one of the first examples of something I can think of that was critically acclaimed, but got canceled. Yeah. yeah. That's such an early thing, you know? 
Well, the ex- separate from that, that experience was the definitive artistic kind of guide for my whole career, which is that there was uh, a fair amount of improv on that show. Yeah. Um, as this is Judd Apatow, I think it's his first TV show as, as Honcho, you know? Yeah. And, um, he took a couple of us aside and said, look, they had, first of all, they'd done an international search for weirdos. Like that's how they cast us, you yeah. know? Yeah. So this is not like a group of like the best looking guy in their town, you know, Judd took me aside after and said, Hey, you're a weird dude, but if you can improv like this, then you can write. It is the same skill set. And now I'm going to teach you how to write because it's the only way you're going to make it in this business. No one is going to be knocking on your door to play Captain America. You have a very particular path here. And he mentored me and, and taught me how to write. And like in that process, I learned to identify what I'm good at. Like, you know, it was really a very focused process, and I think it's it's really served me well. But 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 to that point, uh, and I'm I'm certainly not going to argue with you about your own career. Um, but then you end up being in a very big sitcom, and I mean, in some ways, yeah. that's like that's like a Captain America thing in itself. Like to be on How I Met Your Mother, which is this CBS massive. I mean, it's one of those office level streaming forever. People will have a deep emotional connection to that show forever. Yeah, that that did you know you did? I, actually, I just talked to Kobe Smulders this morning. Uh, oh, she's the best. Yeah, um, on the show this morning. But she's you know, a Canadian. It, she yeah. We talked a lot about the Canadian jokes and yes. But I, I read something that uh, like I am curious about how you dealt with that because I did read when you left that show you moved out of L.A. like you moved to a small town. Yeah, um, it was a really interesting experience for me because uh, I wrote Forgetting Sarah Marshall season two of How I Met Your Mother. So all of a sudden I had two kind of parallel, occasionally bumping against each other careers. They seem very similar, but they're actually not. Like on one side I was writing and making movies and on the other I was doing a sitcom for eight months out of the year. So I was working constantly in two very, very different genres. Like the approach is very different and the style of humor is very different. so I would say that that was a real masterclass, but one of the things that that uh, 10 year period. So, and like eight years of it, I'm doing those movies. And I realized that I never once stopped to do like an artistic check-in, you know? So next thing I know how I met your mother ends, and I'm 33 years old. I'm like an adult. And um, why am I still writing movies where I'm scared of girls? That made sense when I was 25 years old, but because I haven't stopped for a minute, I don't even know what I'm thinking about right now. You know, like, what should I be writing about? I'm like, I'm not the same person I was when this started. So I basically moved off campus, you know, LA being campus to a little town and um, started thinking about how I wanted to do the rest of my career in a way that felt more thoughtful and deliberate and that each project I did for a reason. Let me just make sure I understand that that you so you had you had been making these really success. By the way, we should point out really successful movies like Forgetting Sarah, yeah. Sarah Marshall, like incredibly successful films. Yeah, you were on this uh, CBS sitcom, um, incredibly successful uh, thing, and then you realize I'm I'm 33. I just came out of a show where I w- I played someone growing up. Um, yes. I played a I played a, and I just been making movies about someone who's sort of is stuck in a perpetual adolescence. 
Yes. And I want to make sure that the next stage of my career is the stuff that I think is important and what I, you know. I, I went around for a long time at this period um, only taking movies so that I could work with someone I admired and ask them questions. And uh, one of the things that I would ask everyone I worked with who I admired is, uh, what is art? And one of my really, uh, one of the guys I admire most said to me, thought, thought for a minute, and then he said, I think art is performing an act of self-exploration in front of an audience. Art is performing an, an act of self-exploration in front of an audience. Yes. And, and I thought a lot about that. And I thought, right. I was doing that in Forgetting Sarah Marshall for as silly as some of that is. It was really authentic to who I was at 25. Like, I was playing with puppets and writing a Dracula musical. This is a song that I never thought I would write on the night I'm dying. Sorry for all the wrong I've done. And I was heartbroken over an ex. But one of the things that happens when these things become really, like, like you said, really successful and you start repeating them to capitalize on that success, you're doing less and less checking in about what you're actually going through. And so I think that at 33, I looked in the mirror and I thought, like, I'm like a grown-up. I'm a 6'4 man who's really successful and why am I still making stuff about being afraid and being childish? I'm like running stuff. This is not, I'm not actually performing self-exploration. And so I took some time to think about like, okay, what do I want to explore next that will be authentic to what I'm actually thinking about? That's a beautiful thing, a rare and, and beautiful thing to be able to do. It is, you know, there's like, not to be highfalutin, but Muppets, I wrote, and I think subconsciously I didn't understand, but I do now, that uh, I am actually uh, Gary and Walter, his little best friend puppet. And that movie is all about someone saying goodbye to their childhood self, of saying like, hey, it's okay, I love you, but you need to go and I need to go grow up. I didn't realize it, but I think that's what I was doing subconsciously when I was writing. Oh, I'm glad you got to the other end of it. You know, that's that's yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's a more. I got a sport coat on now and everything. You, you got a beard. You're, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you haven't. You haven't. This is a. This is fake. <laughs> yeah, it's tea bags and Vaseline. You I haven't put this on this morning. Am I a man or am I a muppet? Am I a muppet? If I'm a muppet, then I'm a very manly muppet. Very manly muppet. Am I a muppet? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Q. My name is Tom Power. My guest is Jason Siegel. He's the co-creator and star of the show Shrinking on Apple TV+. And I don't mean to be glib, but Harrison Ford is in this show. Yeah, right. This is not a guy I associate with being um, a TV dude. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. Has, has he been on a lot of TV before? I, I don't think he has. He's doing another show now. But I would just say to that point, it, which I understand... It feels like all that all of that stuff is kind of out the window now, right? Like, yeah. it's not the same as the era when we were doing How I Met Your Mother. It, th- these are all bleeding into each other now. Yeah, yeah. Gary Oldman is on it, and I was talking about that right. the other day. He said he yes. was jealous. But like, did you have to do any convincing to get Harrison Ford on board? Or, honest to God, I just kept thinking like, this isn't real. 
You know, this isn't really happening. And at some point we will find out that he's not going to do it. And then he showed up and, you know, this is like a little kind of goes along with what I was talking about, but Harrison Ford has been doing this a long time and Harrison Ford has been, um, seen a certain way for a long time and has been encouraged to be that way for a long time. And I remember a moment, which I think is really telling when we did a scene and it was the first time in the process when I saw Harrison Ford kind of take it for a spin a little bit comedically, which takes like, it's a certain type of threshold that you're walking through when you're like, I'm going to take it for a spin. I don't know if you know exactly what I mean, but like, Okay, I've got this scene. He's going to jam a little bit. He's going to jam. He's going to jam a little bit. Yeah. He's going to yeah. he's going to free jazz a little bit. Yeah, I get it. And he got some la- he got some real laughs. Some like some of the laughs you get when you realize, oh, someone did something unexpected, and then they yelled cut, and he walked over to me. It was very tender, and he said really quietly, "I knew I was funny." Oh, <laughs> right. Right. And I think that like, gosh, we all have our thing that we want to find out. Yeah. It was, it was like one of the reasons I wanted to do my first drama in that period when I was like, let's see what I want to do next is like the other version that most people live in is that you live resentfully at dinner parties being like, well, if I had directed the Revenant, I would have, (laughs) you know, you're like, Oh, come on. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. The yeah. um, the show is made with Brett Goldstein and Bill Lawrence, as you mentioned, the, who are associated with the Ted Lasso show, um, which is, well, maybe this is the question for you. Like that show is is both good natured and heart- heartfelt and very yeah. funny as someone who has actually been around for a while at this point, uh, which is funny to say. What excites you Isn't about it? the sort of age that we're in right now in, in terms of comedy? I think comedy very often as a response to the tone of the world. And I think that there is a real sense of dis-ease in the world right now. And so something coming along saying, hey, things are going to be okay, is, um, is kind of a response to what the world feels like. So comedically, like comedy kind of serves a need the d- dramatic themes are are eternal, right? They're always like they go back to Shakespeare times. They're repeating these same kind of core dramatic themes. Comedy is not the same as that. I think comedy is almost always a cultural response to what the world feels like. That's a that's a, a such a beautiful way of thinking about about the craft. And uh, Jason, I could talk to you forever, but thank you so much for making the time for us today. Thanks a lot, man. That was Tom's conversation with Jason Siegel, who stars in the show Shrinking. And by the way, they spoke before the actor strike. That's it for this episode of Q, but you can find another episode in your podcast feed right now. It is my conversation with Deanna Bowen, who, when she was a kid, get this, would try to get in trouble so she could get sent to the janitor's closet. That's where she had her own world, her budding world of an art studio. As you'll hear it in Deanna's words, she grew up in this rough part of Vancouver, 
Uh, didn't think that she would make it past the age of 25. No artists to look up to around her. And then she turned that into this incredible career as an acclaimed artist. She's got a massive mural that traces the history of anti-Black racism in North America over the past couple of centuries and also weaves in her family's history. That's on the, the side of the National Gallery of Canada. It's huge. So you can hear her talk about it in your feed right now. That's Deanna Bowen. I'm Talia Schlinger sitting in for Tom Power. See you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.